Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Watari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who's essentially just a clinger also ran. I am the Adam Glass, and yeah, I would have been happier with this movie if it was a little more a little more clinger. I mean, if yeah, if there was so. just anything to, to recommend as in terms of I mean like Clinger's got problems, don't get me wrong. But Yeah, yeah. Like Klinger, Klinger is not an unproblematic character. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, but the, the the by comparison, you know, if we're just weighing the two against each other, I'd rather have a Klinger. Yeah, both characters are from Ohio, so there's that. That is true. Um, I'm glad yeah. you remembered that fact about fact about Klinger. So that's cool. Yeah, Klinger, he's from Klinger's from Toledo. Oh no, that's, Toledo. Yeah. yeah, he's Lebanese American, yeah. but he's from Toledo. Yeah, there is also a city called Lebanon in Ohio. I know that's, that's what got me all turned around. It got me all twisted around. <laughs> yeah. But we don't we don't call people from that Lebanon Lebanese. I don't think. But, well, I, I just, that is interesting. <laughs> uh, the fact that while we're dealing with this BBS stuff, uh, which is definitely counterculture in in a very overt way, right? Uh, Drive, you said, came out in 71. The MASH movie came out in 70. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, I, yeah, the, there's, it triggered a lot of, I was like, wait a minute. Not to, not to suggest that this character is getting some sort of direct influence No, no, from no, Klinger, but more but, importantly, MASH is just uh, such a significantly better anti-war movie than this is. On such, on, MASH is just such a significantly better movie than this is just across yeah. the board. That it's like, kind of makes me like, could we have just watched MASH? To me, the the most interesting thing about MASH is that there is also a, a film version of Catch-22 that came out in 1970. Right. And Which MASH is such a better adaptation of Catch-22 than that film version of Catch-22 <laughs> is. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, just like ideologically. Is, is Catch-22 just essentially non, not, not, um, not really doable? I think this is... Doable? If we dug down into it, this might be true of MASH too. Uh, but... Particularly today, I think it is po- impossible. We've had a conversation like this before. I think it's impossible to make an anti-war film uh, like Catch-22 because in order to realistically portray the army, you have to, in in today's world, in the U.S., in order to realistically portray the army, you have to have contacts in the army. Right, right. Uh, and sort of... Uh, and it's you can't make I, you can't make something anti-American. I think you uh, because you have to be willing to be anti-American, and there's right. still not you know the, the commodification of leftist politics into mainstream culture does exist, right? And even even Boots Riley's newest movie is uh, being released on Amazon, right? Right, and that there's something to be said with that, but. Uh, the Amazon produced Catch Twenty Two. I think th- there's still not the political will by capital to go far enough to make a good Catch Twenty Two. I <laughs> um, I suspect that they, I don't under, think there ever could be right. I, I think we we could spend a lot of time getting into like whether or not the sort of like nationalistic and fascist sort of um, tendencies of capitalism are like how deeply those are are not directly a part of capitalism but i just yeah. i have always been under the impression that like my my interpretation has always been that like you literally cannot have one without the other like they're actually because of the high, sort of 
hierarchical nature of capital, you need to have essentially a, a, a sort of at least some elements of fascism to maintain it, right? You have to have some groups that are kept at a lower status to be able to provide sort of the, the lubrication that makes capital work, right? And that's going to require also a sort of nationalism as well, right? You can't, because you can't, right. you also can't, you could, I guess, have fascism without nationalism, but I don't, you would just end up with a different nationalism. It would just be for whatever that fascism supports, right? Like, it wouldn't be necessarily, it wouldn't have to be for the country per se, but at least yeah. for some perceived new country or something. You know what I mean? Like, you would, you'd be, it'd be impossible. So, you know what I mean? Essentially, I don't think a company say, can be anti-American. I'm very happy that we're having this conversation already before we even played the intro. Pat, before we get into the movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon real quick. Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. Over there for a dollar a month, you can help keep us going and get access to some bonus content. It is great. It's an amazing It's an amazing thing to do. Uh, every month we watch a non-Criterion film, and our supporters vote on what movie we're going to watch. I put together that list usually, but also sometimes the supporters make a list. Uh, on very, very rare occasions, I like I let Pat make the list. I mean, I never. Uh, okay, let's whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's pump our brakes here. I never make the list. I sometimes advise on the yeah. list. Like uh, I, I work as an advisor to it. Right. Um, I want to downplay my involvement. A lot of a lot of what the Patreon is for is for me making Pat watch a movie that. I've either wanted to watch or have seen that I know he hasn't. I would say that's what, uh, like 60%? And then the other 40% is like us sort of fumbling in the dark and then just sort of making a list that like, yeah, I don't absolutely. know. It just is just a list. I don't know how to describe it. Yeah, sometimes we accidentally watch a really, really great movie. We are very grateful for all of our $1 supporters. A little above that $1 mark for people who uh, can afford it and want to see us, uh, you know, want to give us an excuse not to give up. Uh, at $5, we like to thank those folks on air. And thank you so much to Andrew Jarrett, to Chris Otto, to Eric Coronado, and Stephen Goldmeyer. Thank you, all of supporters. you. A little above that, uh, we do something pretty dang special, a little reward for our $10 and above supporters. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard once a month and write a little personalized thank you note and mail that off to our $10 and above supporters. And we thank them on air as well. Thank you so much to Adam Speakerman, Tracy McGrath, Nina Bojnak, Jason Westhaver, and Patrick Yako are $10 yes, and above thank supporters. You. If you want to check out those postcards without committing that $10 mark, you head over to redbubble.com, search for Lost in Criteria in there, and our stuff will pop up. That's past postcards. Uh, you buy them as postcards, as greeting cards. Uh, some as buttons. Some Maybe as, uh, a hat? I don't know. Uh, Maybe? No hats so far. But Do they offer hats? If you hats? see one you want on a hat. Yeah, I think they offer hats. I think I don't some know. of them would be pretty Basically, good hats. Yeah. Uh, if you see Redbubble offer anything and you want one of our images on that, you let me know. I'll make it happen. But <laughs> so grateful to everyone who has purchased anything off of Redbubble. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> a little backdoor thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> yeah. So grateful to everybody who has purchased something off of Redbubble. So grateful to everyone who supported us on Patreon. And so grateful to you for listening. Pat, this week we have hit... 
the lull in the center of the BBS box set. Um, right. The opposite of whatever uh, a nugget. So I guess it's very similar to nugget, actually. Nougat. <laughs> Just sort of disappointing and no yeah, one's like, who really sure what it is. Who thought this was candy? Uh, yeah. So, uh, so throughout the BBS box set so far, we've watched Head, Easy Rider, Five Easy Pieces. Uh, and our last two movies are The Last Picture Show and The King of Marvel Gardens, which we'll get to in a few weeks. But then here in the center, we have Drive, He Said, and A Safe Place, which are the two on this list that I'd never heard of before. Uh, they are also the two that Criterion decided to put on the same disc. Uh, each of each of those other films has its own dedicated disc Perhaps with bonus features. There's a reason. Drive, He Said, and A Safe Place are on a disc together, and while that disc does have bonus features, the vast majority of them are dedicated to A Safe Place. Uh, in fact, there are only three bonus features for Drive, he said. Uh, and one of them I only know about because I imported the disc onto my computer. Uh, well, it's not so, in, the, in the menu or anything? Yeah. I couldn't find it in the menu. I searched and could not find it in the menu. Uh, it's so a, it's an Easter uh, egg, Adam. Yeah. So for Drive, he said, uh, there was a 10-minute featurette uh, with... Uh, with crew with Jack Nicholson who directed this. Uh there was the trailer, which is included for all of these. Uh, but only one, which was actually kind of surprising because so all of the had others had like at least two or three trailers. Yeah. Yeah. Head yeah, had like fucking 12 head trailers like seventy five head trailers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh and then the last bonus feature that I could not find on the disc, cannot figure out how to actually access this through the menus. Uh, were I don't know if they're screen tests or outtakes, you might call them, but it was essentially just Karen Black in the bathtub screaming, and different takes of her doing different screams in oh, the bathtub okay. when the lights go out. Okay. Uh, and like I said, it was because of the way things get imported. It has no like file name right. that they're will tell me like what it is. T zero one or whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, couldn't find it on the disc to figure out what it was. Uh, so, yeah. And, and when I was trying to label what it was, had no context for what that scene was, right? Right. Because I hadn't watched the movie yet. So, yeah, really just no idea. No idea what it was or how you get to it. But it was just different takes with different screams of Karen Black in okay. the over and over again. Uh, yeah. They were all different, but... <laughs> But yeah, and then that was only like five minutes long. So so just an absolute dearth of bonus features compared to everything else on this box set. We didn't even have a BBS documentary associated with this one. Which and is, Head, is Five Easy Pieces, and Easy Rider. Yeah. Have each given us BBS documentaries. There's, not, even, there's would, not a BBS documentary on this disc at all. I Now, I don't like Rotten Tomatoes as a general rule. And we're using it a yeah. metric at all. But perhaps the reason there are a few bonus features with, for this is not because of the Rotten Tomatoes score, but perhaps the Rotten Tomatoes score is an indicator of why. Yeah. It is. This is, this is not a very well-liked film. <laughs> like, it doesn't seem just, like it. I, it has like a 55% at like, and, the, the, and the community score is like 15 or something. Yeah, like the community yeah. hates it even more than more than the than the uh, again, 
film uh, Rotten Tomatoes kind of a garbage site. Don't get me wrong, but uh, you know, still, it it can have its uses. Right, it, it can be a nice what? little like way to take like a quick pulse on on the yeah. feeling, the general feelings about this about especially an older film where they maybe like they um if they were able to scrape older uh, reviews. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, sorry. It's got a twenty-two percent uh, audience score. Uh, it's a little bit higher. That does not surprise me. Yeah. Um, so this this movie is based off of a uh, novel by Jeremy Larner. Uh, it was Larner's debut novel, also called Drive. He said came out in nineteen sixty four. The novel has some pretty key differences. So it is about a college basketball star who's having an affair with one of his professor's wives and his revolutionary roommate. Um, the revolutionary stuff plays out a little bit differently. Uh, they do take LSD at one point. But uh, ultimately, in the novel, the final act of rebellion is that the character burns down the college campus. Okay. I'm already more on board. Uh, which, yes. We are. We set our. We set our sights a little lower. Yeah, in, in, only, in only a version. little, just a wee bit. Yeah. Um, Playboy's review of the novel, uh, according to Wikipedia, unsighted. The sentence says Playboy's magazine echoed the establishment verdict uh, when it said, "quote Nothing like this could happen in America." Uh, which probably is true of the, the way book? the novel goes about it. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, it's an interesting thing to say. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know um, that I necessarily agree, but yeah, whatever. Larmer did earn uh, the Delta Prize for first novels. With this debut, uh, and because the prize had gone unclaimed for a couple of years, uh, he made ten thousand dollars from that well, prize. Good for him, uh, so good for him. Sixty-seven. That was pretty good. No, pretty yeah, good I'm number. not gonna. I'm 64. not gonna go to the website that tells yeah. you how much that is in modern dollars. Yeah, uh, it is more than ten grand. That I, is for sure. That is that is uh, how those numbers work. Yes, usually. Yes. Um. Uh. He also Larner would go on uh, to write the candidate. The uh, the Robert Redford political right. common uh, comedy. <laughs> I've never seen that, uh, but I know of it. Yeah, uh, it's a pretty good movie. You should watch it sometime. Uh, also, Larner worked on the screenplay here. Um, I don't get anything from Larner in the bonus features. Uh, I don't know when he passed away. Uh, maybe he's still alive, actually, because he doesn't have a death date on his Wikipedia. Oh. Um, Oh, he's one of them, the immortals. Uh, he'd be, maybe he just disappeared. Maybe he went to cover a war in Mexico. Yeah, exactly. Faded as 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 you are um, wont to do, if you want to live forever. Right, uh, but uh, as I recall, he is not in the bonus feature. Uh, Jack Nicholson talks about adapting the work in the bonus feature, and he talks about this being like a stream of consciousness sort of novel. And when you're dealing with adapting a stream of consciousness novel. Uh, you have to literalize. You got to cut out all the stuff that's just in the character's head, and you sort of have to literalize it. And uh, 
I've never read the novel. I'm not going to read the novel. Um, I don't feel like just in watching this movie and knowing how the novel ends, even even beyond just the change to the ending, I don't feel like this is a good adaptation of the novel. No, uh, I, but, that's my guess. I would also like to just yeah. point out that like the problem that Nicholson is talking about is true. I mean, it's not a thing only in stream of consciousness movies, yes. novels. Yes. It is a thing in nearly ever every yeah first person perspective novel ever written. Absolutely, ever. Uh, and lots yeah. of people have figured out how to make good movies based off of them. Uh, yeah. So seems to be a lack of creativity. It seems to be the issue. Yeah, here. yeah. But lots of people also made bad movies based off. Of I know. I'm just saying too, that so. the implication that it's impossible yeah. or something to like. I don't know. There's a weird sort of implication yeah. that like I did the best I could, but like it's not my fault. The movie, the the book was just too was too booky to be. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Sorry. Uh, so Larner Larner did work on the screenplay with Nicholson. He helped adapt it, uh, and according to the obituary for uh, William Tepper, who plays Hector here, according to his obituary from Deadline Hollywood in 2017. Uh, this is a citation Wikipedia has for this. Uh, Terrence Malick had uncredited contributions to the screenplay for this. Okay. Uh, just weird. Just weird that that's that ex- obvious. There is no Malick in this movie right. whatsoever. But and there wouldn't be right. He contributed a little bit to the screenplay. He didn't direct it. But uh, but yeah, just fun fact, I guess. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is one of those things where, like, oh, all these people knew each other at some point in, in history. and, and Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the the fictional college that we're at uh, is in Ohio. Uh, Ohio. Given the colors. The, co- the college Ohio, apparently. Yeah. Uh, well, either Ohio College or Leopard, depending on what what cut we're using of the basketball teams because they had two different uniforms right, for yes, some reason. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how, how something getting made on a two screen budget managed two different two different uniforms. They stole but, it. Yeah. Um, how did they afford but they a are leopard? Called the leopards. That's my question. Yeah. They are called the Leopards and they have OU's colors, the Bobcats yeah, that was colors kind of, my, of green and my white. read on it. But, yeah. 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 Uh, which makes sense if they're meant to be an OU stand-in. Uh, I mean, given that this is filmed in 71, uh, I'm a little surprised they didn't go a little more on the nose and use use Kent State. Uh, yeah, I mean, I suspect that overtly. might be too on the nose. I think that, you know, I think there was probably a desire to avoid, like... There may be, yeah. Like, because, again, if you're going to make this movie, you have to know that you're going to be compared with real life. And, like, right. ain't, I got bad news for you. Your, your movie ain't going to compete with real life. No, no, like, no. Uh, an and, extremely and critical not, and important moment in American history, and it's yeah. like, mm, should we try to compete with that? And I'm I'm glad that they didn't. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, it is filmed 
in Eugene, Oregon, the uh, University of Oregon there. The most Ohio-looking place in America. <laughs> Absolutely. If you're if you're ever needing a stand-in for Athens, Ohio, definitely shoot Eugene. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. It's just I, practically identical in every way. Yeah. Same flora, same fauna, same geography, really. The Pacific Northwest and the rolling hills of the Appalachians <laughs> definitely yeah. look identical. <laughs> fucking uh, <laughs> God damn it, that fucking town and those goddamn hills. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I still remember hiking up some of those hills and just being like, why would you do this? <laughs> Where's a fucking cable car for this? I need a funicular to get to the top of this campus. But yeah, so they shot it in Eugene, which we talked about a little bit last week because Five Easy Pieces also shot in Eugene because they, they just drove up the coast and found a Denny's that worked for, right, for yes, the waiter, yeah. waitress scene. And it happened to be in Eugene. Um, so I don't know that, I don't know if there was a pre existing tie to Eugene. For Nicholson or for someone else in the BBS sphere, uh, or there's got to be it's got to be that like they already live there or like some of them already live yeah. there or something or they had a place that they could use like a a, a house or something they could yeah. use. There's got to be a reason. Yeah, it's, it's possible University of Oregon was just the only the only college that agreed now, or the first now, college okay. that agreed to let them. So shoot. you make a bunch of changes to the book for the movie, but you yeah. don't bother to just say they're in Oregon. Right. Why, like why, why, why is it needed in to be Ohio? Ohio? It doesn't matter. Like that's not fundamental to the storytelling. Well, I don't know that the novel took place in Ohio. No, I know. Lerner, okay. So yeah, Lerner that's also himself, true. Right. Yeah, Lerner himself is from Indiana. He he was born in Indianapolis. Uh and uh and apparently attended Berkeley. So like uh <laughs> Yeah, I mean um, uh, well that's even weirder to me then. Like it like it, it that doesn't make it more less weird. It makes it more weird, right? Like it's like why Ohio, when you like, clearly it doesn't look like Ohio. Yeah, you are already in Oregon. You could just say it's in Oregon. It doesn't matter, right? I, I don't know. It's yeah. too far away from no Kent idea. State at this point. Like it's like well, now we've gotten right. too far away. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have to assume that the Ohio. The Ohio insistence is meant to be a reference to Kent, but at the same time, I don't know if that is inherited from the novel. Uh, so, the novel predates. Right. Yeah. Exactly. The Kent so State that incident. wouldn't. It wouldn't. It wouldn't so, make sense. I mean, it doesn't not make sense. But like, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, it could just be like what I mean. Like, but Oregon's got lots of like. There's no. I don't know. Whatever. I give up. UG- like, Oregon's got lots I mean, of like I- anti-war like behavior at the time ideologically ideologically eugene and and athens ohio are not that different they're both sort of hippie-ish towns surrounded by more rural conservative areas uh but uh eugene's also just a larger city and university of oregon is a larger university than ohio university um i say that out of out of hand i don't actually know that that's yeah true, i don't but know that either i'm but not going we'll... to i'm not going to google the populations but it just feels true i've been to both those towns eugene feels bigger than than athens certainly well it's the hills are deceptive um, you can't see over them so you don't know how big the place is right 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 and the moat around campus for some yeah, reason it's, uh, it's the most fashion plain same place on know. earth it's just a big it's sense. a very weird like they just rerouted a river, but they made it into a, a moat with like a ninety degree turn around That's campus. It's a really weird place. Um, but uh yeah. Athens is, is a weird place. Uh but yeah, um so ideologically I guess they're similar enough, but again, comes back to 
either there's a point of this being in Ohio or there's not. And if there's not, why why not change it? Right. I and, and not um, that it's like super important, except for to anybody who knows right. what fucking Ohio looks like, but Yeah, except except that it's the leopards and the bobcats, they share the colors. Exactly. So it's it's just it's I really guess, I mean but, I, I don't know. It just it bothered me mainly just because like I don't know, it doesn't feel like it, it, it makes it Yeah. It's the problem that people from like New York City and stuff run into where it's like, well this doesn't feel like this is the way, and it's a my it's a minor quibble, but yeah. it's also silly. So it's kind of yeah. Um, so one yeah, one sort of interesting thing that maybe segues from this uh, in in the featurette is that uh, Nicholson does spend a good chunk of time talking about how he wanted the basketball to be realistic, how sports movies up to that point, particularly basketball, since you have to shoot indoors. So it's already you've got to light it. So it's already a little more manufactured than an outdoor sport, right? Uh, in shooting for a movie, I mean, um, he said that you know he hadn't seen a basketball movie where the actors playing the characters looked like they could actually play basketball. So he wanted he wanted people with basketball history, people who could really play, and most of the extras in the basketball scene, the other the other players were college players or high school players uh uh William Tepper had uh had uh been a pretty good high school player apparently um Michael Warren I think had played in college he's the the guy who played Elsie uh the African American player the other the other star right. player on the team um and he actually What's that mean? He played for UCLA. Uh, UCLA, it looks like. Yeah, he played for UCLA. Yeah, so so he had he had basketball history, uh, and then everybody else, basically all of the other players, had had college. It's from South college. Bend, Indiana. Look yeah. at that. Uh, look at that. Uh, we used to live near South yep. Bend, Indiana, separately. Not at uh, the same at time. Different times in our lives <laughs> at all. Not at the same time. Yeah, but in the same town. Weird. Uh, life is weird. Um, but yeah. So Nicholson really prided himself on making this a realistic basketball movie, even though it's only sort of 50% of basketball and probably and, and, really only 30% of basketball movie. And the problem so. I run into is we got into, it sort of leads you down this like really strange version of sort of ser- cinema veritas, which is like, I can't like, I know what basketball looks like. I've watched a lot of fucking basketball in my life, but assuming right. you're doing proper film style cuts you can't tell the difference between people playing basketball and not playing basketball on film you can tell the difference between people playing basketball and not playing basketball for example on tv when you're trying to i don't know shoot a basketball game uh but like you have to do so many cuts that like you literally just straight up cannot fucking tell like it's just it's you can't like you got to do so many cuts that like the the thing that makes basketball look like basketball is the flow of action as like the ball moves up and down the court, you lose that unless you're just going to film like TV style, a whole fucking game. Like, I don't know what I, it's fine, I guess. Uh, but it's sort of like, seems like you're like, you know, missing the forest for the trees kind of like, okay, well I made a very, very realistic basketball. Forgot to make a movie though. Forgot to make something (laughs) that people want to watch. Shit. I knew I forgot something. Um, 
it may not surprise you, but I guess we're let the let the cat out of the bag. I did not enjoy this movie. This was not a very good movie. It seems like maybe you didn't. Um, it wasn't very good. It's it really feels yeah. like to me like I'm hoping for a rebound at the end here. <laughs> um <Ha-cha. laughs> I'll be here all week. Tip your wage. It feels like so far the BBS movies are on a downward slope. I have liked each one less than the previous one. Yeah. Head Head seems to have been the standout star. Uh, Head just, there was no way to expect what Head was going to offer us. Right. And the thing about uh, it is, is Head is so largely different from any of the rest of these movies that it's sort of like a right. weird curveball at the beginning. It's like, oh, this is something I'm yeah. into. Oh. 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 I mean, and it really does feel like it's progressive, right? Because, like, I found, um, I didn't like Easy Rider that much, but it was fine enough. Uh, I had problems with it, but it was, like, watchable. It was pretty well constructed. It was, and then it just, just, just kept getting worse. I, I, I don't know. I really hope this trajectory doesn't continue, right? Like, Drive, he said, is pretty terrible, frankly. It's not very interesting. The characters are not yeah. very well acted or constructed. Um, yeah, it's got the it's got baby politics. <laughs> it's got the politics a baby would have. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what else more to say. Less. Like, well, I mean, like it's it's the it's it's even more vapid than the sort of anti-war, anti-establishment politics that we saw in the previous movies, right? It's very much like yeah. it's that like wild flailing gesturing version of that that lacks the sort of core substance that makes that kind of politic interesting right now is it maybe an accurate representation of of the politics of the day as far regarding a lot of fairly high number of people who then later went on to be wildly successful in the 80s um yeah probably it is accurate that like it's just this sort of like flailing attempt to like not get drafted into the war and then let my politics in there uh but like you know (laughs) it's very i guess it nailed the performative but ultimately useless element of it quite well right i'm gonna i'm gonna stage a big thing in a place that annoys people but doesn't accomplish anything Um, so so an interesting aspect to where they chose to to shoot this uh is that university of oregon was a hotbed for Politics yeah, for I, college I politics, figured, yeah, and unsurprising, right? Given what we know about Eugene, Oregon, given what I've already said about Eugene, Oregon, uh, you know, um, in I don't know when they filmed this. Presumably, they filmed this at some point in early '71 or late '70. Uh, in that bonus feature, they talk about how the little student riot we see toward the beginning of the movie post. Post the uh, the happening that they do in the middle of the basketball game in the opening sequence, uh, there's like outdoor scenes of of riot. That's a real riot that is happening on Oregon campus while coincidentally while they're filming, that they found out was happening and they sent their camera crew out, and everybody was running around gr- guerrilla filming this actual student riot. Uh, I don't know when that happened because there's too much. Politically going on, <laughs> too many at the riots University in of Oregon, Oregon at the time. To like, yeah. Well, in February of 1970, uh, they set fire to the ROTC storage facility on campus. Okay, I'm on uh, board. In in October 
1970, uh, someone set off a bomb in the Prince Lucian Campbell Hall on campus. So, like, but this, but like, the sad, okay, so you're pointing out an interesting thing, right? This movie fails even by standards of the time in terms of, like, you know, political right. action. Of where right? they were. Like, the yeah. people in the place are doing, are, you're making a movie. In the movie, the people can do anything they want. Yeah. You can and make they're not, them they're as not dramatic. Even as radical. And they're not even yeah. as radical as the shit going on on the campus they're on at the time. As, That's as what is being failure. done by the people, as what is being done probably by the people you're paying to be extras in your basketball scenes. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's really like, and like, and like that, you know, now mind you. We, we get into the sort of ultimate sort of one of the things that happens there, which is like, well, all the actual radicals ended up in jail. And then all that was left was like right. the people who did the stunt, did the sort of stunts that were in the movie, uh, yeah. which are largely like inoffensive to power. Right. Like they don't really do anything right. that will that's worth like laundry. I mean, it does nail a lot of that kind of stuff. It, I don't think it's purposely trying to do that. I don't think it's trying to. What it does accomplish is not a thing. I don't think it's its goal. Um, but like them trying to like do weird mind magic in the in the jail cell is a very like very like bullshit seventies yeah. anti war yeah. like fucking oh, dumbass new age thing absolutely. to do. Like it's got a lot of that. So I just don't think the movie. I really, really don't think the movie understands that like it's talking about bullshit. You know what I mean? And talking about bullshit people doing bullshit. Um, and I think that's a flaw, right? If it were making, if it were actively making fun of those people and for how yeah. meaningless their, their bullshit is, like it would be a totally different, be a totally different thing, but it's not. Ooh, here's, here's one that could be, okay. Could be what we're looking for. April 15th, 1970. Okay. Uh, OU faculty voted 199 to 185. It's a pretty pretty close split. Uh, to allow ROTC to remain on campus, that was the question. The students had demanded ROTC be removed from campus. Uh, after hearing about the vote results, between fifty and a hundred students. This is from uh, uoregon.edu, just a blog post okay. from two thousand fifteen. Um. Uh, after hearing about it, uh. Uh, up to 100 students broke into the R2C facility at French Hall and ransacked the place. Overturned furniture, broke lights, doors, windows, scattered papers and books, attempted to set the room on fire. Uh, man, attempted to set it on fire and failing is just the saddest thing I've ever heard well, in my entire life. Come on. Man. Well, later that night, another group returned with kerosene. Good. And, Do your job uh, and did a right, little bit God of a better it. job. Burn that thing to the goddamn ground. <laughs> uh no, no word on whether the torches and kerosene they returned with actually successfully started a fire. I mean, you're uh, really hard pressed to not set a, like start a fire with kerosene. Like, but, I, I yeah. needs to not be underestimated. Like, that's basically impossible to fail at that point. Yeah, it is what kerosene does best. Um, and then that April fifteenth incident marked the first time that the Eugene police used tear gas uh, on the OU campus. Ah, we get to start doing war crimes. Good. Yes. Yes. Uh. Yeah, um, and then there was meant to be like a, a torchlight pro- parade protest the next night that got canceled because things got too violent. Um, and then 
Uh, the organized, however, attempted to coerce law enforcement into reducing bail for seven incarcerated students, uh, leading to a phone call. Uh, said, or leading to one of them saying, "Call the judge and tell them that you're going to have on your hands a riot of two thousand people if you don't lower that bail." I can't disperse this crowd unless you do something to make the people feel that you responded in some positive way. Uh, so it, it feels to me like there's a chance that might be the riot I mean, we're talking about. Any of about. the things you've described like could be it. And like, yeah, they all represent the but same that thing would, we're talking about. Right. Yeah. But that would that would put filming one that would put That's filming before, before Kent State out. still. Yeah. And a went. year before it comes out. And that seems a little early for BBS's scheduling, first right. off. Uh, though they are it does you know, seem they're like they only took releasing a break, about a movie though. a year. It does seem like they yeah. took, like, based on the garbage, like, we find out about the garbage person that is Jack Nicholson in this same Wikipedia, <laughs> they did take a break for him to commit sexual crimes. Uh, <laughs> there is that. Yes. They did take a hiatus so he could do the sex crimes. Um <laughs> Right. Uh, so if you if no, what, you figure in a sex crime break, yeah, uh, then that, what Pat that is making reference to, what Pat is making reference to, and this is a known thing. Uh, it's amazing how many things can be known about people that has no impact on yeah. like their their success or yeah. <sighs> uh, so uh, Gabriel Gabriel's girlfriend in the movie is played by a woman named June Fairchild who was in Head. Uh, and, um, she, she's nude in most of her scenes. Um, and in being in head, she was known, like Nicholson knew who she was. Right. They had, and general consensus, general consensus is that she was always going to get this role. But Jack Nicholson uh, brags about holding an audition process in which he had hundreds of prospective actresses come and disrobe for him uh, so that he could tell whether or not they would be good for the nude scene. Like, I, I need to add some of the, the, the character to this because bear in mind that, that Wikipedia and the sorts of articles written about famous actors are always more kind than what reality yes. is. Uh, yes. So some were more eager than others, but all disrobed and endured Jack's near medical examination. I I threw up on my mouth a little bit. You couldn't yeah, probably tell uh, because I'm really good at podcasting, but um, that's certainly bad phrasing. Well, I uh, mean, and again, that implies that things were actually probably worse than the Wikipedia describes them as, right? Like that's just right, the rule. Right. Um, it like. I feel better and better about hating him all the time. I did not know about this. It may be known, but you know, you can't know everything about every every bad thing about every bad person on earth. Right? You can't be aware of the ball. Um, and yeah, he's a gross man. He's disgusting. Uh, and so, I stand by my all my previous assertions about the garbage man. So, uh, yeah. So I assume that that sex crime break. Uh yeah, maybe delayed shooting. Um, really, just seems like he just wanted to do sex crimes. So, <laughs> uh, 
and like all people who want to do separate crimes and find themselves in power, found a way to use his, use his film to, to to make the sex crimes happen more. I don't know, just just gro- gross garbage people. Yeah, you may be unsurprised to learn that this and a safe place, which we'll watch next week, uh, did not get uh, wide releases on home media until the Criterion release of the BBS box set. I mean, again, I really uh, feel like the Criterion Collection is just doing the thing where they sometimes have to scrape the barrel to like make to put together the thing they want to have happen. Right. I mean, we right. have experience with this. You make a list yeah. every month. Sometimes it's harder than others. Maybe it didn't have to have all the movies in it. Maybe you could have just left some of the garbage ones out. Right. Apparently not. No. Well, listen, there are only seven BBS films, so figuring out which two to drop off the list to make a reasonable <laughs> was, box set. was very hard, apparently. It's, I guess it... Yeah. I mean, I guess it could have been the two you put on the same disc because you didn't think they were worthy of their own disc, but I don't know. What do I know about what I'm talking about here? Right. Yeah. So... So trying to historically place this when it was filmed and when those sections were filmed, you know, there's still, we still deal with, this came out post Kent State, obviously. Uh, why, why Ohio, if we're not actively thinking about Kent State? And if it was filmed in April in Eugene, we wouldn't be actively thinking about Kent State. So I don't know. Anyway, that, that sort of, well, it I makes mean, things a little messy. I, yeah, head. I mean, but, but like also it might explain why you have two already... uniforms. It could be anything, right? Right. Like maybe they like right. shot some of the scenes after that, and so they put on the uniform. You know, they switch. Oh, we could we could swap out for these Ohio uniforms. <laughs> so they lost. They lost. They lost the actual the original uniforms during during the sex crime break. <laughs> right. Yeah, we <laughs> took a sex crime break, and we got back things that happened in Ohio, and we needed new uniforms anyway. That actually said Ohio this time to to really drive home that it was Ohio. Right. That, that, I mean, that could be a thing. It's legitimately that really a possibility. A like, let's be very seriously yeah. that they could have just decided to change the uniforms. Yeah, that the Ohio uniforms are shooting. are the secondary. Yeah, yeah, that would make sense. I mean, yeah. I, I you know, I don't know how long a sex crime break takes, but like, probably, I mean, a while. Um, yeah. If they burn down the um, ROTC building with all your uniforms in them for some that you were, I don't know, using. <laughs> yes. That's. Yeah. Maybe Nicholson had the ROTC providing security for the. Uh... I mean, like. Absolutely not. No, that's not. I know. Uh, I'll accuse them of they anything were I goddamn well please. <laughs> they were actually pretty constantly at odds with the University of Oregon folks. Uh, the uh, The scene where Gabriel walks across campus naked. Uh-huh. Uh outdoors. Uh their agreement with the University of Oregon that was was that no nudity would actually be shot on campus. So they serendipitously shot that scene. And then uh Nicholson says in the in the featurette um that they shot that scene, they boxed up the print, gave it to somebody, uh I think the the first direct, <laughs> director uh, the first AD, uh, and uh, and had him drive it to California, and Nicholson told him, "Call me as soon as you're across the border." And then, uh, university officials and the police came to Nicholson where he was staying, uh, and Nicholson decided to answer that door naked. Uh, <laughs> I mean, 
here's my. I guess to, I guess to try to trick them into thinking he was the one who was naked on film, so they didn't. Alternatively, need to go. he's just a sex yeah. weirdo, <laughs> and just can't stop himself. Alternatively, it was just a weird power move. I think that's. Uh, I think that's just the thing. He's just a. Yeah. It's a fucking weirdo. Yeah. Um. And then, uh, and then got into conversation with them. He's like, I take full responsibility for everything you're about to accuse me for. This is basically what he says in the, what he reports what he said uh, in the featurette. Now, the featurette was filmed in 2009, so, you know, take it with whatever grain of salt you need to take it with. All of it. Uh, Just all of this. First off, first off that we're 40 years on, second off that it's Jack Nicholson talking. Uh, but he says, he answered the door naked, told him, I take full responsibility for everything. It's my fault. I was the one. Uh, I'll gladly tell you everything about it, but I need to wait for a phone call from my associate first. Uh, and then, according to his version of events, he <laughs> waited, waited to talk to the authorities who were in his apartment while he was naked uh, until he got the phone call that the, that the footage was out of state. So that they couldn't do anything about it. I mean, uh, yeah. Now, my understanding of contra- contract law is not so much that they would like be able to like. I mean, yes, they probably also could have hunted it down. But alternatively, yeah. isn't the thing that they could just cancel your ability to shoot on campus from now on? Right. You right. did violate that. Like, I don't understand. Like, them confiscating at the border seems like the least problematic part of you like breaking your contract with the fucking university. They don't need you on campus. You're certainly not giving them that much money. And you've already transformed it into Ohio. What, 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 what's the point? Right. Like, I don't understand. Like, it's a cool, it's a fun little story he gets to tell, but like, who cares? It's yeah. also, frankly, a I don't care scene in an I don't care movie. So whatever. Like, yeah. Again, um, his form of protest is walking around naked, a thing that like so I don't, yeah, well, I don't okay. I mean it's not protest that, but he's supposed to be losing his mind or whatever. By that by that point he's had a psychotic break, yes, right? Yes, that's true. And and it's it is a multifaceted psychotic break that he's not just walking around naked. Well, uh, he is also attempting to rape the woman that his roommate is having an affair with. Alternatively. Alternatively, okay. I'm not saying this is what's happening. I'm just saying I did make a reference to Klinger earlier. Alternatively, he's just decided his only way to get out of the army is to just prove to the world that he is not competent. Yes, he's just doing stuff. Uh, Again, one there are different results. I mean, they are different. They're the same result. It's different. um, Different motivations. I think. I think the film actually does a good job of showing that change. I think I think Gabriel uh at the uh at the examination is trying to pretend to be crazy yes. enough to get ejected. And then when that doesn't work because these army people know what he's doing because he's very transparent about what he's doing. When that doesn't work, he has an actual psychotic break at the prospect of being drafted. Uh, And he does play it differently. He does. He does. It gets more extreme. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. 
I I disagree when you said earlier that the acting in this is not good. I think the acting in this is very particular about what they're doing, but but I think it is fairly well acted for what it I, what it's okay. trying to Well, do. so I was Gabriel is a different story. There's a decent yeah. amount of good acting going on. Our main our actual sort of Hector, main character Hector not very good. It's fucking terrible. I, all right, I'll allow that. Hector isn't isn't that good. He is it's true. Our principal character. Like and that's my problem yeah. is like our main character seems to have been chosen because he knows how to shoot a basketball rather than the fact that he can right. act at all. He is fucking yeah. terrible. And that has to go a long yeah. way into why people like I mean, other than the fact that the story is not particularly great or anything. Like there's not there's a lot of problems here. But like mm-hmm. that didn't help. The acting being the 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 main character's acting being very bad is probably not helping things, right? He's not yeah. he has no on-screen charisma at all. I do right. not find him interesting in any capacity. It's hard to imagine that anybody wants to talk to him or spend time with him. Like yeah. any of the other characters, it's it's like people are constantly like wanting his attention and like, you know, he's got this whole love affair going on. But like you you're better off with a brick wall. Like he's just the least right. interesting human well, being he on is, screen. He is also meant to be a character who is super depressed by the situation. But he's he not pulling it off. Right. Like Yeah. We we have He has dec- we have He has chosen Go ahead, sorry. Yeah. They've chosen to portray this per- depression of him just sort of being non-reactive in a lot of situations. But we uh, have so many, even that kind of depression, so many extremely good versions of that already on film. Right. You know what I mean? And this is just yeah. such a bad version of that. Like despondent sort of depression is is totally viable on screen. If your actor is good and can do it, he doesn't look like he's despondent. He looks like that the actor doesn't know where he is. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. actor is lost and somebody's whispering off screen, okay, move a little to the left. Now, now raise your hand or something. He's just, it's, oh, it's terrible. It's Gabriel's well, a whole other story. Uh... Gabriel pulls off quite a bit of acting. It may be over the top, but it works for what he's trying to do. It's fine. Given all the other stories we have about BBS productions and how many drugs are involved, uh, you give a 23-year-old who maybe hasn't had that experience as many drugs as Jack Nicholson is doing during this production. Right, uh, right. Maybe that's just, <laughs> maybe that's what, just what you get. Bruce Dern, who plays our coach here, does describe Nicholson's directing as the best directing he's gotten in his entire career. So there's that. I mean, I, um, I also thought Bruce Dern was pretty good. Uh, the co- like. It's yeah. really, it's really just the one actor, but he's just so bad. It really is just William Tepper. He's just yeah. so bad, and he's also the main character that it really is like a weight around the neck yeah. of the movie in terms of like, uh, it makes it feel like all the acting was bad, even though it wasn't actually. Uh, yeah, and this was his, this was his film debut, and like I said, he was only, he was only twenty, twenty two, twenty three when this filmed. Uh he. Went to con with Nicholas for the debut of this. Um, and then wasn't in another film until 1982. Okay. Uh, and then had a, uh, had a role, had a role in bachelor party, the Tom Hanks movie in 84. <laughs> okay. And that was his last acting role. Um, 
But in 82, he was in something called Miss Wright, and then he was in the Jim McBride film Breathless from 1983. Uh, I assume that which people is, just... Which is a remake yeah, of the Goddard film, figured, but not... Yeah. yeah. I uh, I have but, to just assume people just eventually gave up. Yeah. Well, there is also the fact that despite some notable critical acclaim for this movie, Siskel gave it four stars on his first first review of this. Uh, con, the experience at Khan was not great. The audience did not respond well to this at Khan. Uh, unsurprising me because from what we know about Khan experiences, even, even today, even as recently as uh, talking about Antichrist from 2009, uh, the audience at Khan is actually surprisingly conservative yeah, artistically, yeah. right? Uh, at least not. I mean, at least when it regards, it's also uh, yeah. I mean, it's a sort of self-selecting problem of like what people yeah. can afford to go to con and some yeah. stuff like that, right? Like, yeah. So, so I guess I I could see William Tepper getting burned out on acting from this being his first role and not yeah. wanting to try it again after this. Uh yeah. Um, but I don't. I don't know. I know I mean, he never and, and you know I, do. I mean he's this is rel- he's relatively young at this time presumably he just found something else to do like you know what I mean like right. that that happens yeah. right like you you know that's fine like it's totally fine to be like just yeah. not an actor it's like a thing you can just yeah. do and like, he was, in fact, most people do it he was a film student at UCLA who had who had basketball experience and that's basically why he gets right. <laughs> it gets into this movie um you know, it, it does look like he wrote a couple of screenplays over his career too. But Tepper Tepper's trying to play a very specific character that maybe he's not best suited to play. Right. Right. Karen Black's phenomenal in this. Michael Morgata as Gabriel, fantastic in this, even though he it does seem like probably Morgata got cast for looking and acting like a young Jack Nicholson. Right. Yes. Uh, Bruce Stern's good in this. You know, every, all our side characters uh, are well acted enough for, for what they are. There's not... I think that which, just between Hector, Olive, and Gabriel, we have enough emotionally going on in the movie that even having all three of them get full stories told is too stretching too thin for a 90-minute <laughs> movie. What? And yeah, and a, and a uh, film that, like... You know, yeah, and and isn't just isn't really super tightly made. You know what I mean? Like, just isn't um, right. I mean, like they're doing some of those actors are doing quite a good job, some of them not. But like, in addition to that, it's just a problem of like, I don't think Jack Nicholson's yeah. super good at this. Right. If if Gabriel's uh, introduction is actually meant to be him being an ineffectual revolutionary. And I don't get the feeling that the movie wants us to nope, think that's that. that's what I was talking about earlier. Uh, I, it, the movie yeah. doesn't understand what what we see in it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, even today, I know, I know college kids who are more bombastic in the style of Gabriel's you happening. You know adults. I'm, I mean, you maybe don't personally I know, know adults, adults, but like... Ooh. Performative politics is a yeah. is a thing that exists and yeah. has existed. It's what it is, and 
And it is sort of a fake it till you make it sort of thing in that a lot of people start off in a more performative mm-hmm. space and then get into something real, right? And, uh, then, and then also as the, 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 the 80s then prove, a lot of people don't. Right, right. And Gabriel, obviously, I mean, Gabriel's, the politics we see Gabriel uh, put on, uh, exhibit, are still heavily misogynistic. Yeah. Are still... Uh, I mean, you, know, you and they're... I can read the trajectory of this of this Gabriel right. character, right? It gets a his his psychotic break. You know, he yeah, it it's real enough that he goes, you know, to some sort of you know, mental clinic for a while. He can't serve. He gets out, and then I don't know. He runs a, a hedge fund. I don't know, right? Like, yeah. I mean, he's an asshole. Yeah. I mean, Gabriel's a bad person. You know, as you mentioned, like he's heavily misogynistic. Like, he's very inconsiderate of the people around him, just in general. Uh, very, you know, so. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for some reason, their on-campus apartment is the back room of the theater department. I don't know. but Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he never builds to a coherent politic. Uh, and then it is absolutely understandable. And, you know, maybe maybe I need to have more grace in examining the politics of people in the late 60s, early 70s, uh, because it is actually absolutely understandable that their main concern is not being drafted. Right. And, and no, they, and I, yes. They fashion a politic around not being drafted, and then as soon as the threat of draft goes away, you... There's no core to that politics anymore, so that explains the '80s, right? Like, well, that's yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, and we have the benefit of hindsight, and we can look at this and stuff, and we we understand that. And that I'm not necessarily blaming people for being that way, although it sucks. I mean, it really, really yeah. sucks that your entire concern was built around like, right? I don't. I, I wish it weren't that way. Yeah, certainly. yeah, exactly. Like I, I, but it's understandable. It is an understandable thing. The issue I yeah. run into is that, like, the way it's looked at, sort of like, then the at, proceeding onwards, that the sort of dominant culture started to look back at that almost immediately with rose-colored glasses about how right. how progressive we were, how like in touch well, we were. Like, they almost immediately started. Ma- I mean, they were making movies about it at the time without the value yeah. of hindsight. But even with the value of hindsight, like ten years on, fucking every other movie's about this. And, yeah. and and is engaged just, with it as though it were real politic instead of yeah. what it actually was, which was, you know, as we know, a sort of like, well, if we can get ourselves out of this as a community, we'll be, we're good to go. That's all we need out of this. Yeah. Hector's NBA contract negotiation is more politically radical than anything Gabriel yes. does. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 even within the context of the film, he is only doing that out of depression. Yes. Right? When when Hector when Hector says, "I will agree to play basketball for you if you lower the cost of your hot dogs and make them good, make them by fifty percent, and make them good hot dogs." Uh, and of course, they think he's joking, and you know maybe he is even in context. Well, I mean, uh, and, and yeah, we but, we you know we can understand Hector's character intellectually, even if the, if, if it's not performed super good as well, you right. know, he's depressed. And at this point, he's just sort of like almost trying to invent reasons for them to like not right. sign. Right. Him, right. Ab- like he just doesn't want to do this, yes. you know? Yeah. 
but he's not he's not just making an absurd claim he is actually making a a weirdly proletarian <laughs> yes. anti-capitalist I mean should claim? he have tried to make them make them free yes he should have but, yeah you know hey absolutely. baby steps right? he could have done better right. but but if you compare but, it to a weird art like performance in a in a gymnasium in the middle of a basketball game I know which one is more impactful on people's lives I am Actually, I the most disappointing about the uh, the opening five minutes of this movie is that there's no follow up on the leopard escaping. They I let it. Know, we right? see it leave the cage, and then no one mentions it again. Movie goes up at least fifty percent, in my opinion, if there's constant references to the escaped leopard. <laughs> yes. If the most and radical thing they've accomplished the is later. freeing that leopard, and the leopard is just wandering the, the fucking Ohio uh, like landscape. Yes. Like a like a fucking lot was a lion in Gamora or whatever yeah. it was in Ohio. <laughs> like yeah. however many Gehenna. Years, Gehenna, yeah. 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 Uh, but yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, that would have been great. Um I yeah, would have made it a much better we, movie. If they just if very every instead, so often they're just like still hunting for the leopard. I'm telling you. Right. Instead we see the leopard recage later, and the leopard is not one of the animals he releases in the final in the final Yeah, sequence, I mean right? I, I, I don't know. The final scene is so like, yeah, right. It's just said, so. I, ugh. Like, know, I don't. His his ideological. You guys are the ones who are really in prison. Thing is cringeworthy. Yes, uh, I don't know if it would have been as cringeworthy to a young audience in 1971. Maybe it wouldn't have. I. Suspe- um, that's what I'm. Ta- that's sort of what I was talking about earlier. Is the movie? Yeah, and and maybe the audience itself at the time is not. Is not engaging, does not understand how sort of silly this is, right? But the audience yeah. might have, right? Because again, the movie, you know, I mean, the audience might have in the sense that, like, anybody who's got a sort of like, I don't know, we do it now, right? Like, there's a, it's real easy sometimes, you know, it's not, you know, sometimes you just think is like, oh, that's just, you know, maybe we didn't have the term cringeworthy at the time or whatever, but like, yeah. you still know it when you see, you know, you're like, oh, this is, right, this right. is stupid. For cults, Everything's a prison. Uh, that's you know that's a punchline now, but it's still not false, right? But uh, right, but, so but just idea... sort of mind, trying to mind control your guards into like being like, "I, you're yes. in prison." It's, it's stupid. It's it was stupid then. It's stupid yeah. like, it's... and and people had to know it was stupid. But but I also do know and recognize that, uh. Making an ultimately stupid, cringeworthy rhetorical point in the face of oppression feels victorious in the moment. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure if you're uh, if you're also meant to be yeah. playing like a 21 year old or whatever, right? Like, yeah, who's which just, he is. Yeah, right. No, I get so, it. I get it. Like, yeah. it's just that, like, I think I don't think I'm not convinced that the makers of the movie didn't think that was like. I'm what trying I, to figure out how to phrase this. They are also essentially twenty-year-old, twenty-one-year-old, like, yeah, doofuses on campus who think that right. this is actually cool. Yeah, I guess why why I come back around to mention it again is that the uh, the releasing of the leopard in the opening sequence and the releasing of the animals in the final sequence uh, is is comparable to this escape from the prison of society that uh, 
that Gabriel as a character wants, right? And that that is a consistent motivation for him throughout. So maybe it's a little smart, more smartly written there. Maybe I I uh, would say well, I mean you know Gabriel is 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 yeah I mean he's specifically even not even the prison of society as much as just like the prison of like this sort of like obligation his existence that, that, right that society now, right. has tried to put him in. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. Yeah, I I, now, I would say that that feels like maybe the you know we do have the writer of the book involved might be yeah. trying to make the movie better, but. and I and I do I do also think that there is a read here that is not not entirely extra textual that uh, that Gabriel's attack of Olive is meant to free Hector from the prison of the woman. I mean, no, that, that I mean that that's Gabriel not has accused him of. Like, right. I mean, like the yeah. shit that Gabriel yells at her and him at the end there, right. like when he's like, you know, word, you know, absolutely is is yeah. is all about that. I mean, we we do see that in sort of like if it is a real psychotic break, which you know, again, as far as the movie's concerned, isn't necessarily something we can know perfectly. But I agree with you in general. Um, is still includes the things he thinks about the world, which include his intense right. misogyny, right? Like he's right. He's convinced himself that like women are that all of his holding Hector yeah. black. And that women in general are bad and like are pretty right. like I yeah. mean he the first thing we see that's like extremely like well like does him attacking his girlfriend happen before or after that? I've lost track of what the order of events is. I, I'm trying to figure um, out if the attack on I'm trying to figure out which attack is first. When he freaks out, I think out he attacks starts, the girlfriend first. Yeah, I can't. I feel like that is first. I can't when he starts like that. you know, he throws the toilet and like scares her, right? Like he's right. We do see an expression that like in a part part and parcel of his his nature includes this this misogyny that that gets expressed more and more intensely as he goes through this sort of psychotic break. Huh. No, I think it is I think it is the next day because I think we go from him throwing the toilet out the window to him walking naked across campus to free the animals. Right. Okay. Well, I mean it so, works either way because they're yeah. both extremely violent acts against women, right? Like that is right. part and parcel of this psychotic break for him, which Yeah. But is an expression of the thing we already knew about him, right? Isn't it is a it's a um a um intensification of that. It's not new, right? Like I think that right. that that plays well, that that whole thing plays well in the sense that like it kind of goes to what we were talking about is about like he doesn't have a complete sense of politic, right? Like he his his liberation is for him, right? And and so it it doesn't even include the 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 you know, it doesn't even treat women as part being worthy of 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 some sort of liberation, right? Yeah. I need you to follow me for a second. Okay. Where so, are we going? So in what you just said, in what you just said, and something that uh, Nicholson says in the featurette, uh, Nicholson says that the tragedy of the story is the problems of free love. And it's the last line he delivers in the featurette. There's no more explanation than that. The tragedy of the story is the problems of free love. Uh, I am then reminded of a Nathaniel Hawthorne novel from 1852 okay, sure. <laughs> called called the Blythesdale romance. And the Blythesdale romance is uh, based sort of on true experiences. 
but it's a critique of free love utopianism of okay. the 19th century. Uh, and one of the points of Blythesdale romance, basically, uh, and I think this is a very common common uh, critique of, of free love, and I think that mostly it does play out in reality historically. I don't think it's necessary that it would, but it does, uh, is that um, an insistence on free love uh, among people who are not emotionally prepared for free love leads to jealousy that builds into a psychotic break. And that happens in Blythesdale romance. Uh, and overtly in Blythesdale romance. Uh, here, if it's happening, and the only the only real suggestion that that is sort of what is happening is Nicholson saying that this is the right. Bear in of mind that love. we have the wrong characters doing the psychotic <laughs> right. break in this in, in this situation, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, but but is it because Gabriel, in being an outsider to the benefits of free love in this experience, certainly. Olive, Olive and uh, Hector are having their own depressive reaction to all of this going on, right? Uh, and and depressive reaction to the situation they put themselves in. But Gabriel, as an outsider, views uh, views Hector's actions as counter revolutionary because he thinks he he thinks that Hector can't join him in what he's doing because he's tied to Olive. That's what he accuses him of openly, right? Right. Uh, yes. Yeah. So, uh, which is wrong. Yes. Well, and, and also Gabriel has convinced himself he's yeah. a revolutionary. It's just, yeah. Right. Right. Which is also wrong. But again, from Gabriel's point of view, um, from Gabriel's point of view, then the, the problem here is that, uh, the free love aspect, uh, has caught the zeitgeist in a way that is counter-revolutionary. That isn't isn't helping thing, and Gabriel never uses the word counter revolutionary. Certainly, right? But um, but uh, he sees he sees that as a distraction, sort of, I guess. And and I think this is very common for a lot of leftist movements of, uh, and I think I think those uh, what's it that movie uh, um, where the woman takes the bath in chocolate. Uh, those uh, they were like Serbian. Uh, WG. Um, oh goodness, I have no idea about Orgone. You know what I'm talking about. I probably do. give me a give me a second and I'll and I'll, I'll work backwards. My brain. Right, Carla, I know what the, movie you're talking about. I do know what movie you're talking about. I have no fucking yeah. clue what the name of that movie is. The movie about uh, Willem Reich, uh W R Mysteries of the Organism. Yes. The yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, that we watched. Uh, a while back, <laughs> yeah. and was yes. What, what spine number was that? God, I don't. Remember. That was uh, three eighty nine. So it was it was about three strange. years ago at this yes. point. Yeah, but uh, but that and the Dusan Makhvijev, the other movie of his we watched, which was a sweet movie. Right, uh, I remember, one of them. I remember sweet movie better. I think I remember it more yeah. clearly. Sweet movie is the one where the woman bathes in chocolate. Right, and it's like uh, yeah, it's the one with a lot of like really odd visuals right like it's yeah 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 um one of those i can't remember which one also has the subplot of the eastern european revolutionary woman who uh who is fighting for free love as part of her revolutionary ideals and the men kill her for it basically uh 
and I think I think that free love as a liberation of women uh, is the platonic ideal of the free love movement. Uh, I don't think that that's how it actually plays well, out okay. so often because because patriarchy is too strong. Right, right. So like what we're getting in here, so what like what this all sort of amounts to, and I, I agree with you, is that the problem is not, yeah. but the problem is is that it's always written off as the problem with it is free love. The issue is yeah. patriarchy and misogyny, right? Like Gabriel right. is not reacting right. to being it being counter-revolutionary. He's reacting because he's a misogynist and he thinks he feels right. like he's being deprived of access to free love. Right. And like I he, think he thinks he deserves it. Yeah. As though it's like, well, free love's around. Why where's my free love? Right? Like that's not that's not a valid yeah. and I think, <laughs> revolutionary argument. And I think in Nicholson saying that the tragedy of the story is the problems of free love uh means that Nicholson has the same problems Gabriel has. I agree. Here. I yeah, that that's where yeah. I was worried is so I was like, okay, well, where's Adam going with this? Yeah. Yeah. Well, except for like the problem with with Jack Nicholson is is even probably even a little bit deeper, right? In the sense that like he's also just a a, a a bad person who he doesn't even. I don't even think Jack Nicholson is necessarily revolutionary at this time, right? Like he's he's found his in into this this thing and doing a lot of drugs, right? Like it's yeah, you know. Yeah, I think he agrees with Gabriel. I think I think I think him and Gabriel are very much of a piece as, pe- as you know, I think like he looks at Gabriel and like definitely, you know, based on the acting and stuff sees himself and stuff. Um Yeah, it's 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 good to know he's still not self-aware ex- what 40 years on. <laughs> like, yeah. That's that's good to know. The thrust of the tragedy is more aimed at Olive than any of our other three main characters. Counting Hector, Olive, and Gabriel as our three main right. characters, which I think is fair, <laughs> given given the amount of time we spend with yes, people yeah, in this movie. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, those, I those are our three main characters. Yeah. Um, so the thrust of that tragedy of free love, uh, for me at least, uh, in as much as I agree with Nicholson to say that's the point of the movie, it's at Olive, who is uh, constantly a victim of patriarchal forces right right her. all of right. all of Not, it is is the actual tragedy of free love which is yeah. like it's supposed to liberate her and it doesn't yeah. it's the right. opposite right because because even even hector wants to control her especially at the end there uh gabriel certainly wants to control her even if it is as some misguided attempt to free hector i mean i don't uh, but i don't think it is all it of, really isn't it's yeah. gabriel demands to also be included in this in this sort of like yeah as though he has a right automatically through the through, through the tenets of free love or something to that effect, right? Yeah. Um, Richard, her husband, is... I think within the context of the film, he's meant to be the ineffectual, possibly effeminate intellectual I... who can't... Yes. Who, who, whose uh, own inability to be the man of the relationship has... Uh, has pushed Olive into having having an affair with Hector, um, and it's lovely. But then in the end, he also wants to control her. You know, he threatens to kill Hector over his misunderstanding of what is happening when he comes back to the house at the end. Right, right, and, and so, but 
Okay, I mean, yeah, I, I do want to say something. And he knows that. he knows that they're having an affair. We get frequent hints of that, yeah. obviously. Um, and and olives, you know, olive olives not necessarily happy in that relationship. Obviously, you know, they're not they're not like practicing an open relationship, right? Um, they may, you know, I I can't say that in 1971 any of these people would have the the uh, the mental vocabulary, even if they had the capacity to talk about having an open relationship in that way. But um, that is sometimes what we talk about when we talk about free love, but it's not always what we talk about when we talk about free love. And in this context, I'm not sure that it is. Um, but anyway, Olive, Olive does, you know, she asks Hector not to have sex with anyone else. Um, and that, that could be read as a way Olive is trying to push back against this free love ideal. Uh, perhaps hypocritically, since she is herself having an affair. Uh, But also I think it's an indication that for Olive in this situation, it isn't necessarily an idea of free love. It is that she is unhappy in her marriage, and Hector is a a promising uh, pivot, possibly, for for another, another... monogamous relationship right i mean for her here's right. okay you you've got a lot you've put a lot out there okay i've I put a lot out there and yes. i want to reply I've, I've been like now i've got like too much stuff built up to like reply to i'm sorry Number one, i'm sorry i talk too I much i do not think the our authors or whoever's in charge of making this movie whether it's nicholson or it's our author actually understands what free love is they have misinterpreted yeah. what that phrase means they've misinterpreted the ideas associated with as it. As many as many men in the sixties did, yes. misinterpreted the the idea of free love as I get to have sex with any woman I want. Right, and and more uh, importantly, I and that's always been true of patriarchy. Yes, so I'm like, not. Con- yeah. I, I that's ag- not a change. I agree that I do not think yeah. Olive thinks she is in a free love situation. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. But I don't Olive think believes she is having an affair. Um, alternatively, sort of in a, in a sort of side note, I don't. I think it's probably a little bit less that way than we think it is. I might, I think, again, director, writer, not sure who, has decided to make, uh, what's his name, the professor, her husband. I don't know anybody's name. You couldn't, you couldn't hold a gun to my head. I couldn't tell you the name of any character in this movie. Richard is her husband's Richard. name. Um, yeah, Richard. It, they they've misunderstood. I think they've again decided to do like real stereotype bullshit and be like okay effeminate yeah. sort of like ineffectual if, you know intellectual type who can't satisfy his wife he right. he is i think in practice if you were writing this character you were trying to be very real about it which they're not really and they're not doing a very good job anyway you would end up with more of a he has decided to sort of like and i, I do get this impression from the acting that he is very aware of the affair and has decided. And I think that to a certain extent, this is his version of like, it's that sort of, um, well, she wants to do this. There's no, you know what I mean? There's a sort of like, right. I don't know how to describe it, but it happens in relationship where like, everybody's aware of what's going on and we're just not going to talk about it. It's fine. Right. Like she wants to do this fine. And she knows that he knows, right? Like she, all of us very aware that, Richard also knows, right? It's very clear that they both know what's going on. And maybe they're not talking about it, but they're also not, no one's like, 
about to shoot anybody with a gun or something over it. You know what I mean? Um, and and it involves Hector, and Hector is is sort of like largely unaware of the. <laughs> Is 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 a twenty one year old dipshit who doesn't like you could make this story in a much more interesting way where where the writer and director are kind of aware of the stereotypes they're playing with and then like also the sort of very misogynistic elements of it right Hector does decide he wants to be like he wants to continue to just sort of see other people but like. She's having an affair, but she's essentially trying to establish another monogamous relationship, right? Like as you said, right? right? That is what's happening here. Like, they like her and her husband have grown apart, and she's trying to establish a new relationship. Hector doesn't. Hector chooses not to interpret it that way until he decides suddenly that he wants to possess her. In addition to being able to do whatever he wants, right? Um, it, right. It's. I my problem is is I don't think borderline anybody involved in the creation of this movie is actually knows what the fuck they're talking about. You, you know what I mean? Well, listen, like it certainly Jack Nicholson does it because 40 years later, he says something like the problem, uh, the problem, the, you know, the, whatever he said, the issue of this is, is free love, which is an, is a gross yeah, misunderstanding tragedy. of any of what's going on in his own fucking movie. Right. He just doesn't. And I assume this is how he saw it at the time. I mean, probably is still how he thinks about it. Right. Is this like, Oh, he probably decided at some point that free love was not real. It was just sort of and like there's problems, but like, you know, none of that's what's happening here anyway, right? It's just not it's just right. Very stupid. And it would be make a fine movie. It's a fine topic for a movie to mess around with, right? Like everybody's miss sort of misunderstanding and sort of abuse of each other in, in regards to the like wh- their sexual relationship but like lots of it movies have been about that right there's nothing novel about that per se except for sort of like a few people vaguely you know gabriel mentions i don't does gabriel even mention free love i don't even remember if anybody remember mentions free love in the in the movie i can't remember anymore but i don't know it's just it's just actually pretty much a standard like affair romance or affair drama, right? Except for the guy who goes crazy. Yeah. It's not novel in any way in that in that regards, right? Like two people are drifting apart. One of the people is trying to establish a new relationship that doesn't go well because like that that arrangement has too much tension and it. it has too many too many factors pulling at it to make it like a sort of successful right. uh sort of like transition, right? Um and and you know one of them and certainly at least one of them is severely too immature to actually handle it right right um the other two probably are grown up enough to actually be able to like handle that transition probably not like necessarily without any like yelling matches or some shit but like you know what i mean like one of them is like, is basically still a child right like when we get into right. hector hector's well, a child and reacts like a child <laughs> about it yeah um and so in that sense like that part of the writing is pretty successful. It just doesn't, I'm not convinced that like they knew what they were doing in the end. Right. Yeah. Well, it, it turns out uh, that there might be a few more hands in the script here. Uncredited. <laughs> in so addition to Terrence Malick, there's just Terrence a Malick. list of people who just like wrote like what, five minutes of the movie. The, the guy who plays Richard, Robert town, who who is a screenwriter in his own right, and and his his screenwriting credits are 
I mean, he wrote Chinatown, among other things. So okay. Like, um, uh, uh, he also did uncredited script work on this movie. So, uh, I don't know. There's a lot. There's a lot going on with a lot well, of. Also, I mean, that could be a big problem, right? There's a lot of hands in the, in in the you know can really like yeah. make things confusing and like not coherent, right? Like, I mean, if you've got random people tossing in little bits and pieces here and there, that's going to make it go bad, right? Yeah. Um, it's certainly writing help. Writing in 1991 for his home movie guide, Leonard Maltin, and I don't even know. Like it's my understanding that in 1991 this movie was completely unavailable, but it must have been if Leonard Martin's putting it in his home video guide. Uh, but um, alternatively, he just put random shit in there that had wasn't available on home video. Maybe, maybe he's Leonard Maltin. He can do whatever. Yeah, basically, he wants. that that was my uh, that was my take on it. Uh, yes, yeah. Uh, but Maltin Maltin said he found the movie confusing, but praised the acting. And then, quote, according to Wikipedia, uh, it loses itself in an attempt to cover all bases. Uh, and I think that might kind of hit the nail. No, on the I, head I would agree with as... him. I think it's it's a it's a it's, yeah. a, it's a it is a it is it may be an oversimplification just for the purpose of making it very yeah. blurby and and quick. Right, right. But yeah, it, it's a movie that's like all over the fucking map. It doesn't any one of the stories in the movie could be developed and like handled better. And yeah. but it just they aren't right. Like just none of them are. Uh, yeah, I yeah. I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, yeah, that the that the Playboy review of the of the book said uh, the idea that the entire campus could be burned down is not something that would ever happen in America. Uh, but then that this was filmed while people were actively trying to burn down the University of Oregon campus right. where it was being filmed is <laughs> just I don't know I. Well, what it the politics what it, of the movie could be better and more overt. What right? what it tells you is that more like more than likely the movie is far better. It leads me to the assumption, that, even, or sorry, it leads me to the assumption that the book is far better than the movie in terms of its yeah. its understanding of its characters and yeah. the politics involved. But even even the University of Oregon's politics were an anti draft politics, yeah, right? They that, were that, mad they, at the ROTC, they, they right? Basically, all were you know, man. It is, yeah, and. Uh, absolutely understandable. Yes, I mean <laughs> again, uh, no, not, no shade on people anybody. who did not want to go fight no war. Yeah. I, I, I get it completely. <laughs> yeah. I agree with you. It's just we all get we get the wish, benefit of wish a, that a, had, an intense yeah. level of hindsight on it. Wish that had fomented into a long-lasting <laughs> uh, desire for a better world and, that and, uh, did not actually happen. And again, there's a very valid argument to say that all the people who would have done that were in jail or dead. Yes. And right. that, and that, that, We're that, that, that it, to a certain extent, the sort of the revolution, quote unquote, was was self defeating in the sense that like everybody who would have actually turned to more and more intense revolutionary behavior, dead, jail, or kicked out of the country, basically exiled in some other right. country where they couldn't even like begin to participate in America. Like it's just that's I mean you know the. Ultimately, compared to what could have happened, JFK's uh, politics and 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 RFK too, their politics were were milk toast reform <laughs> compared right. to what people were actually wanting, uh, and uh, certainly compared to what they were accused of doing. But the fact that the only 
the one guy with ultimate power to maybe actually do something about this and his brother who could have filled the void both get murdered uh puts a real hamper on that too right so, i mean yeah it, 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 you know not now. Now, not to ever suggest that a U.S. Direction. president could actually do any of Ar- those things. Arguably, but. in the other direction, America voted in Obama, who, in many ways, represented a very similar sort of like thought process for America. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, there's no reason to believe that like it wouldn't have gone the same way there, right? Like, it's just sort of like, right. oh well, it did. I mean, well, he died earlier than yeah. to find out the ultimate, but we can kind of guess, Ob- right? We can project. obviously, obviously, yes. JFK was assassinated, but the Nixon administration is a swing back against against that in the same way right. that uh, that uh, Trump is a swing back against right, the and it, and the, and this sort of so. intense like swing back against what was not even very not even really reformist politics really really didn't really right. do right. much right yeah um, a lot of promise of things that no one was ever seriously going to exactly. Do. And hey, look, that's the lesson that his his vice president learned. Yep. You can just promise <laughs> the only shit lesson and just never do it. Learned. Yeah. I I have to assume oh, that was man. a lesson he's known a for a long time. You yeah, can just probably. say whatever, man. It's whatever the just fuck you whatever. want. <laughs> yeah. Uh But yeah, getting back to the movie. Uh if you say if so. If we can. It might be just time to I, I would like to argue this one, is... one, one little point that's worth noting. Okay, uh, the one of the guys you mentioned who uh, Richard, who played Richard, um, I forget his name already. Yeah. Uh, I will say he did help write Days of Thunder, so he's it's a pretty serious black mark true. on his it's record. True. Became became very good friends with Tom Cruise. I mean, writing Days of I Thunder. I guess good for him, but yeah, Days of Thunder, man. I don't know. Yeah. This guy's had a rough career, so I'm well, saying. He was in this movie, and he wrote Days of Thunder. Well, Henry Jaglum, uh, who is a film director and a playwright, uh, uh, and also was uh, in this movie. <laughs> what? Okay. Uh, uh, he plays uh, Conrad. This movie I can't gives me a goddamn fucking is, headache. I'm, I so have many such a headache. Like, because, like... Yeah. You really get the impression that this was this ex- exclusively like a movie made by people who wanted to like write movies and they all just fucking piled on this yeah. goddamn script. Probably. And then at uh, some point probably anyway, had to argue about I bring who up, got credit and who didn't. Yeah. I bring up Jaglum uh because Jaglum is the director of next week's movie, okay. which is a safe place. Uh and a safe place I I'm interested in. I think I I really hope Drive He Said is going to be the low point of this I BBS. Hope so. set. Uh a safe place also has Orson Welles in it, so already already got my interest. <laughs> right. Already we, playing we're, a character we're credited a as the magician. Already. Yeah. <laughs> um uh, it's got uh <laughs> is apparently called from fifty hours of footage. Uh, I have read that it is uh, among the remaining PBS films. This a safe place is going to be the closest we get to head. I think out of out of any of what we have left. Not that it's going to be head again. I don't think it will be. Uh, but Time Magazine called the film pretentious and confusing, and that's a good sign. Right. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> We're on the right track. Um, 
I think we can chalk that all up to Orson Welles. I think we can blame him though, for that. Though, of course, of course, people call Drive, he said, confusing, too. So, I mean, uh, they're not can't. wrong. It's not always a good Drive, thing, he but, said, is yeah. confusing in the way that bad films often are. Uh, yes. I'm hoping, given Orson Welles' involvement, that this is confusing like F for fake is confusing. <laughs> right. uh, less than... Less than how drive he said. I just like the I I I'm fascinated that called I, the the man the the called from fifty hours of footage just makes me so excited. Like just yeah. I don't know why it's probably we'll it, it it's definitely could be a very negative thing, but that could also be like oh he just wouldn't stop. There, there, there. It seems there's a good reason why Drive, he said, was just sort of added to the safe place DVD for the Criterion release. Because <laughs> the, the, there are a lot of bonus features on this disc. They are all related to a safe place, with the exception of two. So I need so. to, despite it being only 94 minutes, I need to, uh, I need to allot myself. You probably need to time. engage with someone. Yeah. That's all right. We'll figure it out. Uh, I'll watch everything. You don't have to. I, I will fine. do my best. I, when um, there's interesting stuff to watch, I try. Bad timing yeah. today. Like, we'll really see. did not have a good grip on like on my own personal timing for this week. So I messed it up a bit. Yeah. Um, I didn't watch Jack Nicholson talk, of which, our, is, you know, which is fine. Uh, what do you think of our final lines of this movie? Of Hector running to catch the van that Gabriel is being taken away on. And yelling, your mother called. Your mother called. Uh, uh, I I mean, I, I... I don't know. I mean, I don't know what, like... I don't... I don't understand the relationship between any of the characters well enough to, like, get a read on what lines mean. Like, I... <laughs> they, I don't... I don't... I don't... A lot of it has to do with yeah. me not caring... Like, I I know what you're yeah. saying. I I I thought briefly when I heard that I was like, well, that wasn't what that's supposed to like be implying or saying. Um, like, I think it's like you know, it's I don't know, man. It's I. Is it a reference to something? It could be. It's, I don't know. I there's a possibility I wasn't paying attention enough attention and. Uh, Gabriel's relationship with his mother had come up before. I do not I believe that's true. It coming up. You, I don't remember uh, it. You don't remember it. I don't think it happened. I, I think the are they like think, are they like old friends? Do they did they know each other before university? Like we don't find any of that. I out. don't know. Yeah. If you know, I, given I'm so deeply uninterested in given their the situation with each of, other. Yeah, given the situation of phone use in 60s and 70s university settings. Uh, his mom would have had to call a payphone in the dorm, probably. Yeah, or at least so, like a, a front you know, desk phone or something. Yeah, or something like that. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, maybe, but, <laughs> but yeah, it's just uh, it's weird that that's his concern. Yeah, I mean, it's also but got sort the of the implication yelling. that perhaps like it's like supposed to like try to like call him back like bring him, get, back, bring to him back to reality or something Maybe. like get his attention to like pay attention to the world i mean yeah i don't know it's we just come into this problem of like in many ways all of the center of like sort of this orbital structure right and like, yeah we get 
uh, the movie keeps trying to establish the relationship between Hector and Gabriel as like meaningful and important, but it I just don't I just don't know or care. Like it just doesn't work. Right. They're, they're, they they yeah. they those two particularly lack all charisma together. Is it is it meant to be as a final reminder that Gabriel is human? I or is it is it I don't that, think the movie's smart that enough for that. Filmmakers frankly. or our writers are worried are worried that we'll write off Gabriel as as uh you know as as a mindless anarchist. Uh, and I use anarchist in the pejorative word here because his politics are pejoratively anarchist. Uh you know, I am an anarchist. I I understand the problem with using that word that way, but I mean, Gabriel's politics have no coherent politic. Right. To them, I mean, right. Except misogyny. Yeah. I mean, he uh, so he's he lashing out against all authority. Right? right. I mean, yeah. He is so, just. He is just a. Yeah. He is. I, I don't. I don't know. I don't think. Like. I don't think the. I honestly do not believe the movie is smart enough to try to like remind of his of his humanity or anything like that right i think it, it feels like honestly speaking like i've seen this with the other bbs movies they sometimes just write shit because it's like whatever popped into their head yeah and like i don't think this would be any different like i think sometimes they just like and like they're hoping for like um what I think, uh, honestly speaking, what I think a lot of the motivation that drives certain lines in these movies and stuff is a, a desperate attempt to like recapture that sort of like the spark that exists that they 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 set off when they made Easy Rider with like that line delivery around the campfire about like about how like they've already failed like the revolutions like that that like probably the most profound statement made in Easy Rider about, like, the failure of this whole thing, this whole experiment. That they said, like, they didn't even know what it meant at the time. They just wrote down whatever sounded good. Um, right. It wasn't even written down. It was just, like, delivered, out, like, sort of out of hand. And, like, and we we even identified it. It's, like, even if it wasn't on purpose, it captures a lot of really import, right? It's It's one of the things that, like, makes the movie suddenly feel a little bit more coherent about, like, what is this movie about, right? Is this sort of like how meaningless this whole thing is and how like sort of like ultimately self-defeating it is and, and pointless it is, right? Um, you're, they're imagining they're on a drive for this like sort of like, you know, escape from society, but it's all just about getting the bag so that they can like run away. Like it's a super profound line it, or it ends up being a super profound line that was sort of an accident, Right. And like, yeah. I think shit like your mother called is just all like desperate, like grabs in the air to like try to capture another one of those kind of lines, right? Like another one of those like, oh man, this is gonna hit with the the kids of this generation. It's gonna like resonate, and they're gonna like say it to each other, and they're gonna think about it, and it's gonna be the thing, right? And so you just start saying and like throwing shit into the script, just like willy nilly, just trying to make that happen, right? You say shit that seems sort of non sequitur or like kind of like divorce slightly divorced from reality in the hope that like it'll just like spark some interest in your audience. And like I I think somebody just wrote some shit down. I think somebody was high on Coke and just wrote some shit down. <laughs> like honestly speaking. I feel that way about a lot of this movie. It's just it feels a lot of like yeah. it's it's clear that people who know how to write wrote it 
some people who knew how to write wrote it, but it's disjointed and like weird and not in like the fun way, but in the like, oh, we just all got real coked up and just wrote some random shit down and none of us understood what was going on. And and like they were high, riding high, right? Like you just see this sort of progressive slip, right? They're riding high off of like a movie that was incredibly successful. And then like, at least as far as I'm concerned so far, it's just each one is just progressively less and less of what made that exciting for people. I, I don't know there. five easy. I don't know how five easy pieces did relative to easy writer in terms of like audience, like how they responded. Like, was it more or less popular, but this is just such a fucking crater compared to either of them movies. I didn't particularly yeah. care for in the first place, but like, geez, right. It's fucking, it's a sh- this one's a fucking shit show. So we do need to talk, I think a little bit about the censorship of this film. Okay. Sure. Uh, in that there was none. Uh, so, Originally, this was given an X rating, and they argued it down to an R, uh, despite not story. cutting anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, there's a lot of male nudity in this movie. Yeah, uh, it's a lot of dicks. Weirdly to the around. point. Weirdly to the point where uh, I feel like whoever normally writes, you know, obviously it's not one person, but pretending it is is fun. Uh, on IMDb, occasionally I will click over onto the parents' guide, which which said list normally would list all the curses and all the nudity in a movie, uh, but also is by and large written by someone. Uh, the nudity sections, particularly, are written by someone who it's hard to tell if they're a prude or a pervert. No, they're always sometimes. secret perverts, and, man. and so they're often always secret perverts. So often they're always both, right? But uh, but this one uh, only talks about the male nudity. Uh, it of does not mention it does. the female nudity at a, all. Because there's an escalating uh, scale here. If there's that much male nudity, you can just forget about the female nudity yeah. because like, the male nudity yeah. just takes over their brain and, and right. that's the end of the story. And, right. It uh, does not mention the violence at all. Uh, in fact, in fact, it's just labeled as model, mild to moderate violent movie. I'm telling you, there's a phenomenon uh, called dick brain. There was a dick in yeah, the movie no, and there's nothing else to say about it after that. Like That's all absolutely. you need to know. No. There was a dick swinging around. I can't think about anything yeah. else now. Um, the main thing, besides the the shower scenes being recut, um, the main thing the censors seem to have had a problem with, unsurprising, is that uh, Karen Black's character, Olive, in the car sex sequence, orgasms. Uh, and portraying a female orgasm on screen was... Uh, not something that was done. Right, right, uh, right. Ever. I, wasn't, wasn't there like in one of those documentaries, like one, one of the many, many documentaries, one those of the are references from, to like yeah. the idea that like they needed to cut her actually saying she's coming. Like if you can get rid of that, yes. it's like, oh, it's fine now. That's yeah. all we needed to do. Um, That's it. Yeah, Nicholson says in one of the previous BBS documentaries that we've watched on one of the other discs uh, that cutting out the orgasm was was absolutely not going to happen. That that was the entire point of the movie is something he said at that point. I believe. I mean, Jack Nicholson would say whatever um, goddamn thing he says. Obviously, but yeah, right. Obviously, when we heard that, we had no context to understand what he was talking about at all. But, um, yeah. I mean, if if Nicholson's on the level there, ha, ha, ha. in in whatever weird way he's on the level there, right? Obviously, the entire point of the movie is not to showcase Karen Black. Pretending to have an orgasm. Like I said, he'll say any goddamn thing. Uh, like, he just... Anything. Right. 
But if the idea uh, that presenting female sexual pleasure was at all something they thought about in making the movie, uh, I don't know, that, that sort of feels at odds with the idea that this movie is about the tragedy of I, it, it free is, love. Because it's not, too. like like I said, like I, I do mean the fact that like Jack Nicholson would just say any old goddamn thing. Like he doesn't feel any compulsion right. to be accurate or authentic about any of the things that come out of his mouth. I mean, all you have to look at is like, that's not what the movie is about. Like it, it is at odds with like essentially everything that the movie is about and what happens in the movie. It's Jack Nicholson still being convinced, I guess, that the movie's about free love. His his gross misunderstanding yeah. of what that would mean. Um and it's about, you know, like this idea that like his association that like free love like is connected to like sexual pleasure in that way. Like it, it's it's a it's broken brain shit, right? Um and yeah. and the reality of the matter is is that like I don't really I don't know that I'm interested in what Mr. I took a sex crime break thinks about any of these topics, right? Like about like free love or like the importance of female pleasure or anything like that. Like whatever, man, he'll just say any old goddamn thing. Whatever. I, he's a sort of a weird soundbite producing machine, essentially. Uh, and you know, so I don't know. It's just whatever. Yeah. So ultimately, uh, drive, he said is definitely, <laughs> I don't know. We've, we've already been on a downward trajectory. We, we, Easy Rider, given, you know, I said this during the episode, given what I knew about Easy Rider before actually sitting down to watch Easy Rider, uh, having never seen it before this, very surprising, very, very weird about the popular consciousness version of Easy Rider versus the bleakness of the ending. I of mean, Easy there's Rider. a lot of things that, like, are not part uh, of the pop- we, we talked about it. Like, it's, it's yeah. a weird movie that way. Yeah. Uh, Five easy pieces, again dealing with dealing with the worldview of people I just don't care about, right. uh, basically. Um, and and someone and obviously particularly dealing with someone who also doesn't care about those people, but decides to just drop out instead of doing something uh, to change his own family. Uh, and then uh, and and who cares who he hurts on the way, right? right? Uh, and then this, I don't know. One thing I have learned from all of these movies is I like Karen Black. She's a great actress. Yeah. I'm glad to see her more and more in each of these movies. I hope that continues. Right. Uh, Hopefully but, we'll get to the last one. It'll just be her. It won't be anybody else. Just Karen Black doing a monologue <laughs> yeah. for an hour with all all of her impressions of Jack Nicholson and of uh, everybody from Easy Rider and just down the list. Uh, cause her, her parts in the bonus features have been a delight as well. Right. So, uh, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, well, yeah, next week, go ahead. Next week is a safe space or a safe place rather. Um, I hope I haven't been doing that consistently every time no, I've you said haven't. that, but next week is a safe place, uh, from 1971, same year as this, uh, release wise. Um, it's. I am looking forward to that in what limited I know about it. So there's that. Uh, but uh, I just hope, I just hope, uh, I don't think we're going to continue on the trajectory of every BBS movie being worse and worse in our opinion. I don't know that uh, it's possible, frankly. But, uh, 
Yeah. There's a there's a theoretically a bottom limit somewhere. Yeah, but was Drive, he said, the bottom limit is what we need right. to discover. I think there are ideas in this movie that I would love to have seen fleshed out more. I think there are ideas in this movie that I would love for the movie to have taken more seriously. Uh, but ultimately, it falls flat in a lot of ways for me. Next week, we'll talk about A Safe Place, continuing through the BBS box set from Criterion, America Lost and Found, the BBS story. Thank you so much for listening to Lost and Criterion. I am, as always, the Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oye, Tari Dorgan. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. This has been Lost in Criterion, hosted by me, Adam Glass. Find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My co-host is John Patrick Ovatari Dorgan. You can find him on Twitter at jpatrickdorgan. Big thanks to Jonathan Hape for our theme song. Check him out at jonathanhape.bandcamp.com or hear more from him on any streaming service. Also, thanks to all our Patreon supporters, iTunes reviewers, and Redbubble customers. And hey, thank you for listening.